Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am an associate professor of pharmacy practice at the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy, who is a proud, probably, probably proud, but a proud supporter of uh, this oncology pharmacy podcast. Today, we're getting back to our uh, foundations in oncology pharmacy series and talking about 5-fluorouracil. So aliases for 5-fluorouracil are, we're simply 5-FU, just fluorouracil, and the brand name apparently is Adrusil, which I've never heard of and uh, never would have thought to know except for this podcast. Uh, we're going to take a little detour and talk a little bit more about the history here uh, of 5-FU. So 5-FU was discovered by Charles Heidelberger, uh, who was a professor at the University of Wisconsin. And uh, in uh, Vincent DeVita's book, The Death of Cancer, on page 154, he calls 5-FU, quote, the first real targeted therapy, end of quote. And that's because researchers had discovered that rat hepatoma cells used uracil more efficiently than rat intestinal cells. So what was identified was a biological difference between a cancer cell and the normal host cell, meaning you know, the cancer cells used uracil more than the other cells. So Heidelberger uh, was at the University of Wisconsin, and um, his, his landmark paper, The Discovery, was published in Nat the journal Nature in 1957. So that makes us one of our oldest anti-neoplastics. Um, so he was a chemist, or organic chemist by training, went to Harvard, I believe, um, came to Wisconsin uh, to to run this lab or join a lab and was able to synthesize uh, fluoridinated compounds uh, to test this theory, uh, including 5-FU as along with some others. Um, so uh, they put 5-FU, so this is the, I got this paper just in the email, uh, Nature 1957. So they put 5-FU in some other compounds that didn't work so great. Uh, and they tested them in various, you know, leukemia, ascites, tumor cell lines, um, and found uh, quite a bit of activity of 5-FU. They also found, interestingly, they also found antibiotic activity or antimicrobial activity against species such as E. coli and Staph aureus and a whole bunch of other things, uh, which is interesting. Um, and then another thing in, th in the history of this, so in 1958, so a year later in cancer research, there's a publication of the first clinical trials with 5-FU. Uh, and this is published in 1958 again in the journal Cancer Research. And I just want to point out, uh, first thing, just to give credit where credit is due, was that this study, uh, quote, these, this investigation was supported in part by the following grants and aid. And there's the National Cancer Institute, the U.S. Public Health Service, the American Cancer Society, and then, I, I'm, I'm shocked, the, the Milwaukee Braves Baseball Club of the National League. Major League Baseball team, now the Atlanta Braves, but in, in 1958, they were the Milwaukee Braves. They were funding clinical cancer research at the University of Wisconsin. This is, this is, my, this is my kind of thing. Uh, anyway, some interesting things <clears throat> that are hopefully more meaningful than the fact that the Milwaukee Braves, um, you know, helped, helped, uh, helped get 5-FU apparently uh, onto the market. Uh, so the drug was occasionally injected without dilution, IV. It's been given intramuscularly or orally in fruit juice, just on occasion. And this is how it's written. Uh, and although local irritation has not occurred at the site of IV injection, the veins become thrombosed after repeated injections. And just to give you an idea of how far we've come with dosing, uh, the daily dose was computed according to the body's body weight in kilograms 
unless his weight exceeded the ideal one, in which case ideal weight was used. So they were dosing based off uh, weight, not body surface area. And they were using an ideal weight, so they were adjusting the weight in those who are obese. But back in the 50s, probably fewer obese patients than we had then. Uh, this was a, really a precursor to a formal phase one study, and they basically worked up to 15 mg per kg as the most commonly used dose, which um, for if you imagine about an 80 kilogram patient, that'd be uh, about 1,200 milligrams. And if you take an average BSA of two, that'd be about 600 milligrams per meter squared, which is about what we use today for a dose of 5-FU. <clears throat> and they gave it IV bolus on five days in a row. And they found that that 15 mg per kg dose produced alopecia in about 30% of patients, um, but no alopecia at lower doses, so 10 to 14 mg per kg, as well as a, a lot of nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, stomatitis. Um, there was a nadir that's very clear in their white blood cell graft uh, around day 14. Um, and then the article uh, ends with a summary of kind of take-home points, which, which I think are interesting. And then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of 5-FU. Um, severe toxicity was not, observed at, was not observed with doses of 15 mg per kg for five days unless the patients had prior exposure to alkaline agents or radiation therapy. Uh, two people died in these studies, and that could have been avoided if stomatitis had been used as a guide for stopping therapy. So basically, if they had this bad stomatitis, they should have stopped giving the drug. Things that we now take for granted, um, that we learned uh, thanks to these brave individuals who, who were on these clinical trials, these, these patients. Uh, tumor regression was noted only in those patients manifesting severe toxicity. Uh, there's obviously a link between um, drug efficacy and drug toxicity as a measure of how much drug is, is doing something inside the body. And just to give an, an experience, uh, we have a patient right now with a hematologic malignancy who is sailing through chemotherapy with almost no hematologic toxicity. Uh, which has me very worried that we're not getting the anti-neoplastic effect that we would like from this chemo regimen. Um, and that's what they noticed back in 1958 with 5-FU. Unless patients had severe toxicity or meaningful toxic, not meaningful, but unless they had, you know, important, uh, you know, probably what we would call now a grade 3 toxicity, if they didn't have that, they didn't have a tumor response. Um, and beyond, you know, measuring a decrease in tumor volume, they also saw that analgesics were no longer required for the relief of pain in a majority of patients following treatment with 5-FU. And these were all uh, advanced diseases. Uh, so I think it's, again, if, you, if you're a listener of the podcast, you know I like to go back and look at the historical relevance here. And very interesting for me to learn that 5-FU is active against E. coli and Staph aureus. Um, I don't know about the concentrations um, since that was done uh, in the laboratory setting, but still interesting. Okay, so let's go on in our categories here for uh, um, our landmark agent 5-FU. So mechanism of action, there are really two ways 5-FU works, and this is going to be important when we talk about how we use 5-FU as well as the toxicities we see with 5-FU. So the main mechanism behind 5-FU is that it enters cells and becomes phosphorylated by thymidine kinase to the active metabolite F-dump, which is 5-fluoro-2-deoxyuridine monophosphate. It can then go on to be further phosphorylated to the di and triphosphate forms, but F-dump, the monophosphate form, um, inhibits thymidylate synthetase, and it forms a covalent bond with thymidylate synthetase, which is an enzyme that's crucial to DNA um, production. F-dump forms a covalent 
complex with amylate synthase in the presence of a reduced folate, specifically 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate. And what we would learn, or what researchers would, would learn subsequently, was that giving patients leucovorin, or folinic acid, which is a reduced folate, expands the cellu cellular pools of reduced folates, including 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate. And that increases the activity uh, and the binding of 5-FU-2-thymylate synthetase and uh, makes that covalent bond last for longer. In other words, leucovorin is a helpful drug interaction with 5-FU and produces more thymylate synthetase inhibition. Therefore, if you look at a lot of our current 5-FU regimens, leucovorin is included if you think of Fulfox, Fulfurinox. Okay, so summarize, one, mechanism of action 5-FU, the first and probably the most important is inhibition of thymidylate synthetase. The second mechanism is that 5-FU is phosphorylated to FUMP, which is fluorouridine monophosphate as opposed to deoxyuridine monophosphate. And that is incorporated in an RNA and serves as an RNA false base pair. So we have two mechanisms and what we have further learned uh, from not completely convincing pharmacologic studies, but relatively convinced to the point that most people accept this to be true, is that the continuous infusion method of giving 5-FU works mostly by thymidylate synthetase inhibition. And bolus 5-FU works more by RNA false base pairs. So we have one drug given both as bolus and infusion, and probably the most common regimen where we see 5-FU is Folfox, which involves um, oxaliplatin as a bolus, a bolus of, uh, or an infusion of leucovorin, followed by a bolus of 5-FU, and then a 46-hour infusion of 5-FU. So we're giving fluorouracil in that regimen two different ways. Those two different ways that we give it uh, correlate to two different mechanisms of action. So the bolus is RNA false base pair uh, in, uh, activity, and then the infusion is inhibition of thymylate synthetase. That the way that 5-FU is given also corresponds to the toxicities. So infusional 5-FU, um, working more by thymylate synthetase inhibition, causes more hand-foot syndrome diarrhea, whereas bolus 5-FU, you'll see more myelosuppression, and you see that in the early clinical trials. As they continue to increase the doses, they, they noticed that given uh, the drug over a continuous infusion, the drug worked better, and it had less toxicity, which allowed them to give higher doses over a continuous infusion and that um, giving a higher doses over infusion versus a bolus was also um, amplified really by adding leucovorin, which expanded those, those pools of reduced folates uh, intracellularly, allowing for more inhibition of thymidylate synthetase. So couple, just, just to summarize again, two mechanisms of action, uh, thymidylate synthetase inhibition, that's what predominates with continuous infusion. Um, Leucovorin is helpful in that thymylate synthetase inhibition, and that corresponds to more dermatologic toxicity, or epithelial toxicity, we'll say, hand-foot syndrome, diarrhea, whereas the bolus uh, dosing of 5-FU works mostly as a, works more as an RNA false base pair, which corresponds to myelosuppression. So let's talk about uses. So as I mentioned, Folfox for colon cancer, and there are lots of different Folfox regimens, but again, there is the bolus 5-FU and then the infusional 5-FU, and those both follow an infusion of leucovorin, which again is a helpful interaction which helps bind, um, increases the binding affinity of 5-FU 
2,5-methylate synthetase, or the active uh, metabolite of 5-FU-F-dump. It's used in pretty much every other gastrointestinal malignancy, from head and neck cancer, esophageal cancer, gastric cancer, anal cancer. I mean, that's the whole GI tract right there. Uh, pancreatic cancer as well. Also used in breast cancer. Uh, if you're interested, go back and listen to our CMF podcast from a while back. Um, also FEC or FAC for breast cancer. Uh, and then others as well. So it's also available as a topical formulation that's used for things like basal cell carcinoma. As far as toxicity goes, we've already mentioned that the toxicities are, are dependent on the mechanism of action and the, which is dependent upon the route and duration of administration. So we'll just kind of go through these bit by bit. So when I think of 5-FU, you know, I think of diarrhea as probably the most common side effect patients will have with a full FOX regimen. Uh, and it typically would respond to your, your typical anti-diarrheals like loperamide. Um, mucositis or stomatitis was what appeared to be dose limiting in these early studies. Um, and we do have good data saying that cryotherapy, so sucking on ice chips for 30 minutes prior to a bolus dose of 5-FU decreases the severity of mucositis. Again, the idea is that that ice chips, that cold effect would cause vasoconstriction um, prior to a bolus dose of 5-FU, so therefore less 5-FU would go to the epithelial cells of the mouth and the oral mucosa, decreasing chemotherapy delivery and decreasing mucositis. Um, myelosuppression is something that can see more neutropenia than thrombocytopenia, but that is only going to be seen, not only, but it is in but it is probably only going to be seen in a bolus regimen of 5-FU, which are, have fallen out of favor because of that myelosuppression. So for Folfox, imagine a patient is receiving Folfox and has significant myelosuppression to the point that you're considering dose reduction. Uh, I would not dose reduce the infusion of 5-FU. You can reduce your oxaliplatin and you can reduce your bolus 5-FU, but don't drop the dose of the infusion of 5-FU because that's not contributing to the myelosuppression and it is very effective for the colon cancer. Uh, so a very practical example of why understanding the pharmacology and how that relates to its efficacy and toxicity is important in managing patients with cancer. Some other side effects that you can see would be alopecia, again more dose dependent, uh, nail changes, dermatitis, dermatitis especially uh, in areas um, where patients are receiving radiation if they're doing that concurrently. Uh, epiphoria, which is excessive tearing, and even some tear duct stenosis has occurred. And it is both a radio and photosensitizer. That's why 5-FU is used in a lot of squamous cell carcinomas. So let's say head and neck cancer, because that often is accompanied by radiation therapy. And the 5-FU has a radio sensitizing effect. It is also a photosensitizer, which means patients should avoid excess exposure to sun or wear long clothing and sunscreen uh, while they're receiving 5-FU. Uh, there's a somewhat unique toxicity of chest pain and angina that happens in 5-FU, and the best guesses are that this is caused by coronary vasospasm um, that may require dose reduction or stopping treatment depending on the patient's comorbidities and how healthy they are otherwise from a cardiovascular standpoint. One thing that all pharmacists should know, uh, all clinicians general should know in my opinion, is that there is a major drug interaction between 5-fluorouracil and warfarin. And this is presumed to be because of 5-FU inhibiting cytochrome P450-2C9, which is the main metabolic route for the S, or the super strong, the S enantiomer of warfarin, which is the stronger of the two enantiomers. 
there is an oral formulation, an oral prodrug formulation of 5-FU called capecitabine, brand name Zolota, and it has the same dr severe drug interaction with warfarin as well. I would be remiss if I didn't point out um, two other things. One, there is an FDA-approved antidote for um, fluoropyrimidine toxicity. Um, so that could either be 5-fluorouracil or capecitabine, and it's called uridine triacetate, and it's approved for an accidental overdose. So let's say we as pharmacists make too much 5-FU. Uh, you know, we put more in than we need to, and we realize it after the drug's been given, or unnecessary or uh, too much ingestion of capecitabine, um, and it is approved uh, within 8 to 96 hours after um, you figure out that there was an overdose. And the way that that works is it works by interfering with the RNA false base pair activity. Essentially, it becomes um, a better base pair uh, and is able to overcome the RNA false base pair activity. Uh, it could also be used in patients who are exposed to 5-FU and then are immediately found to have a DPD deficiency. DPD is dihydropyridine dehydrogenase which is the rate-limiting enzyme in the breakdown of 5-FU. Uh, in the United States, it's not common practice as of right now to test for DPD activity before giving 5-FU, but patients who do have dihydropyridine dehydrogenase deficiency will have extreme toxicity, so, ex so extreme myelosuppression, including neutropenia, maybe thrombocytopenia, extreme mucositis, extreme dermatitis as well, uh, as well as diarrhea, if I didn't say that. And it can be life-threatening. Patients can die from that. Uh, so that's 5-FU. Uh, look forward uh, in the coming weeks for maybe some, uh, some landmark clinical trials of some of these 5-FU-containing regimens. And as always, I hope to see you all a little further down the road.